the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 610 for Monday, June 20th, 2016. And welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show that's like car talk for Apple geeks. You send in the questions. We provide the answers. Actually, sometimes we source the answers from all of you. Really, it's just a collaboration of all of us coming together, helping each other. And the goal is learning at least three new things each and every time we get together. And that includes us. I want to learn stuff by doing this show, too. And I do every single week. Sponsors for this episode include Otherworld Computing at MacSales.com, Barebones Software at Barebones.com, and Atlassian, makers of Bitbucket, Jira, Confluence, and HipChat at Atlassian.com. Here, back in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. Back in Fairfield. Because the last time I saw you, John, well, the last time we talked in this venue uh you were in fairfield and i was in uh san francisco in that apartment with the screaming fast uh internet access and then uh and then we met in well i won't call it the middle because it's not we met very very near you but slightly west of you in manhattan for downtown downtown Downtown. that's right we met 18th street there that's right yeah my travels uh my 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 travels were crazy but it was the plan for them to be crazy. I had uh, I had about forty minutes of buffer time in my plan, and I think I used all forty two of them. So uh, so, but it worked out, and I got to uh, the Pepcom event, and then back out to Newark, where I flew home the next morning, and made it to a gig that night here. But uh, but it was all good, and we've, I'm sure we've got some stuff coming up from Pepcom. Uh, I'm going to be traveling for a couple of weeks, as as I mentioned on the show. We're doing a family European vacation for a couple of weeks, hitting uh, London, Paris, and Barcelona. So we will be pre-recording at least one episode for while I'm away. And uh, I think we'll make that a cool stuff found slash maybe slash tips episode um, that uh-huh. we'll that we'll do so that uh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it all goes. It's, uh, you know, but we I think that's like end of next week. We got to we got to do those. So. Wow. So anyway, well, that's great because yeah. So we went to uh, Pepcom, and then this week, Dave, I am going to what they call CE Week, which yep. is a slightly larger event in the same place in Manhattan. Got it. So uh, between that and things that I have on deck and all that, um, yeah, I think we're going to have a, a big old basket of cool stuff found. Uh, we already have a big old basket of cool stuff found. Oh, I feel like we could do, do probably three. Ep- well, I I intentionally started, you know, we were doing them at the beginning of episodes and we will resume that. But when I realized we were going to have to do some, you know, pre-recording uh, for while I was away, I figured cool stuff found is sort of a good thing because it's not timely uh, for the most part. And um, and so I started holding those back and, and I think I started a little early, but uh, but we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Um, all right, let's. Um, we've got lots to go through today, so let's start with Scott, and uh, and we'll see where that brings us. And so, Scott, nope, wrong thing, guys. I, I'm talking to myself here, of course. Uh, Scott 
writes, Dave and John, I will be at a crossroads in a few months after the announcements of last week at WWDC. Two of my Macs and most of the iPads in our house will no longer be able to have the latest OS. My main Mac is an early 2009 24-inch iMac, and this is not on the OS Mac OS Sierra-supported list. My choices are obvious. I can keep things the way they are or buy a replacement. My concern with not replacing the iMac is that I will have lost touch with Apple's current support of older OS versions. Can I expect them to do security updates for a while, or will El Capitan be frozen? I'm a firm believer about updates, if for no other reason than to have the latest security patches. After all, I don't want to get caught. Yeah, um, it's. Uh, I am in a similar scenario here. I am running at the house uh, in terms of Macs. I think we have one, two, three, four Macs in the house, two laptops and two desktops that uh, are either from 2007 or 2008 and will are running El Capitan with SSDs just fine. In fact, I'm, I'm still amazed at how, how speedy a core two duo 20 inch iMac from 2007 is with an SSD in it with El Capitan. It's just awesome. But um, you know, for, for right, you know, day-to-day stuff, just kind of normal web browsing and surfing and all that. Uh, but, that that is the last operating system it will run, right? It will not run Mac OS Sierra. So uh, I'm in the same boat. Uh, here's the thing. I think we're all good for at least a year from right now, right? The new OS won't be out until probably late fall, but even if it's early fall, fine. Apple will keep updating El Capitan for a while, several years, if history is an indicator in terms of security updates. So I'm not worried about it from that standpoint, my concern is about apps that I will want to run on these machines. At some point, things will stop being written for El Capitan, or more specifically, they will start being written for the new stuff that is being put into Sierra. And at some point, I'm going to want that. Uh, probably, for me anyway, much sooner than Apple end of life's El Capitan in terms of security updates and all of that. So... Yeah, I've been, uh, I, and, but this is no surprise. I kind of expected it. In fact, I was pleasantly surprised when uh, both Yosemite and El Capitan would run on these machines. But, uh, but I know that I've got about, you know, somewhere between five and 10 grand to spend on, on Macs over the next couple of years to get everybody in the house uh, up to back up to speed. And uh, so that's just how it's going to have to be. So I got to, I got to look at, um, at refurbs and see, you know, where, where I want to, where I want to jump on the train because refurbs can be great for this, but you know, buying one too old and then you don't get to do what, what I just did, which is use a machine for what, nine, 10 years almost. I'll, I'll have used probably by the time I replace at least one of these iMacs, it will have been in service actively daily for 10 years. That machine owes me nothing. That's a good mm-hmm. run. I think. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's kind of funny that, um, I currently have newer equipment than you, but then you have more equipment than me. But the thing is, my oldest machine now is my 2012 MacBook Pro, which is supported. And then, sure. of course, I got the uh, the Mini here, the 2014 Mini, Yeah, which, uh, as a friend of mine observed, um, you got to get the magic screwdriver for that machine, which right. it's a fish shake for me. It's a TR6, and I fix it has plenty of them. 
<laughs> yeah, well, the computer's here in the office. I have the, the you know, uh, 20, I guess it's a 2014 Retina iMac, right? And then the uh, 2011 uh, 27-inch iMac here in the studio, and then my 2011 MacBook Air. All of those will run Sierra. In fact, I had Sierra on my MacBook Air shortly after we recorded Mac Geekab last week. I took it off. Um, for me, it felt to be a much earlier stage alpha than previously i always do this at wwdc as soon as we're done with mac geek Ab and i'm my machine is sort of can go into test mode i clone the drive of course and then i install the latest developer build because it's fun and i messed around with it for a little bit but it was not really i mean it's not ready for prime time but it wasn't ready for me uh as previous ones has so have so this is the first time i've had to bail out but uh but it's also partially because I'm going to Europe and I need to rely on this machine, uh, which I wasn't really thinking of when I hit the install button. Yeah. So, but, you know, it's but, fine. Uh, but the window machines that they, uh, so I think some of the machines that you have, one of them I sold you for parts, is a 2008 era MacBook Pro. And that, it looks like they, yeah, the 2008 machines, uh, they're rolling off the list of support. Yeah, there were things, did, there are things in, in LCAP that, um, that they can't do anyway. You know, there, there's things. In, in fact, I think your 2012 probably can't do everything in El Capitan, right? It can't. Can it do all the? Um... The only feature. So I, I was very careful when I selected this machine because mm-hmm. I wanted to get one that was as user serviceable as possible. Because right. I'm just weird that way. No, no, no. The only feature, advanced feature that the MacBook Pro 2012 non Retina that I have does not support is power nap. Oh, interesting. But all of the other advanced features in El Capitan. Yeah, that's the only one that doesn't support. My 2014 Mini does. Yeah. But this is the only advanced feature. All the other things, handoff and all, all that stuff. Okay, so you've got of handoff and, and all of that stuff. Okay, I wasn't sure where that line was yeah. in relation but to power nap is, I, I just don't have a checkbox for it. Right, right, like, right. Yeah. Not available. No, not there. A, that's cool. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. But I didn't want to get the Retina because then it started, oh. I think that, well, I think the Retina, I think the difference between the Retina and this machine that I have is that the Retina was where they started fixing the RAM, where right. the RAM you get That's is right. the RAM you get. And I wasn't entirely comfortable with that. In retrospect, yeah, but here, I should have gotten it. Here's but, the uh, thing. Once you go Retina, man, it's really hard to go back. Well, I got Retina. I got Retina screens all over the place. Not on your Macs. It's totally different. I've no, not, I, I have them on, I have yeah, them on my iPads. I got them on my iDevices. Yeah, but, yeah. I but know. not my Max. You're it's, right. It's different, especially. Uh, I mean, it's different on a laptop. As soon as you go Retina on a you know a twenty seven inch iMac, it's kind of crazy. But uh, but it's not. You can go back. You know, I say you can't go back. Uh, I actually prepped this entire episode on the two thousand seven twenty inch iMac in the house because that's where I happened to be last night, and I figured I had a window of opportunity. I'm like, you know what? I got to get the show prepped before the morning. Otherwise, I'm you know I'm going to be stressed out when I get up. So I did it all from there, hundred percent. It works fine. So, yeah. Anyway, to answer, uh, to wrap up with yeah. Scott here, though, the, the thing I want to say is that in general, I think the guidance that I like to give and what I've seen Apple do is that they typically will support not necessarily feature updates, but secure, critical security updates. They'll typically support back two versions. So you got the okay. current version of the OS They'll do security update. They'll actively release security updates for a version back, and then a version back from that has, okay. has been my experience. So then they abandon. That makes sense. Any updates for something that's older than three versions back? 
Sure. Okay. Which, uh, that's you know, that's good. Can... All right. Cool. And like you said too, uh, developers will start. Uh, you know, I mean, it'd be silly for a developer to just target Sierra, but but you're going to see that as well as you pointed out that yeah. you know they're going to start not writing apps that'll work more than three back. Right. 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 That's right. Yeah. All right. Sweet. Mike asks. I created a new location. He says, my first question is about airplane mode in OS 10. He says, I created a new location within network preferences and made the items on the left panel inactive. Is this as good as airplane mode in iOS? Is there something more I can do to preserve battery life when I don't need internet access? For example, when I'm on an airplane watching a movie or listening to music using my Mac. So I think that's um, in terms of the, so there's there's a couple things, right? I mean, you're asking about airplane mode, which really is about radios, and then, but it, but of course, not using the radios saves battery. Uh, but then there's also other things you can do to save battery, but um, like like dimming the the screen. But in terms of radios, the one thing that uh, I've always sort of chuckled about is. We have everybody turn off their cell phones. We have everybody, you know, put their cell phones in airplane mode and, and no one does this for their Macs. And with things like power nap, you know, you can have it look around when it's on the battery uh, for, you know, for various things to do. So you've got Macs that are, that are doing that. But if you're going to do this, your, your new network preference location is one thing, but also turn off Bluetooth. That's the other radio that's in there that, um, Again, it's, you know, might not use a ton of battery, but uh, it's a radio, so it's going to use some. So that's what I would do. Any thoughts on that, John? Um, I think I'm with you on that. Right. You know, cool. the radios take energy. I, I would say that it's much better with the recent Macs. Of the, the Bluetooth 4 supports something called low energy, which right. uh, means... So uh, you're, you're going to see less of an impact uh, with Bluetooth on. Uh, on the newer machines, but if you don't need a radio, you don't need a radio. So, it, um, uh, Dogster in the chat room, uh, everybody in the chat room, welcome, thank you, at macgeekcab.com slash stream, suggests a piece of software in the Mac App Store called Airplane Setting by Frobaus. And uh, Airplane Setting is free, and it says, if you travel by air a lot, you probably know the irritation of going through multiple steps to turn off your radios or dim your screen for those long transatlantic flights. Even if you have wireless and Bluetooth in your menu bar, it still takes a minimum of two clicks and a number of keyboard presses to set yourself up. And so Airplane Setting takes care of this for you, and it's free. So we will uh, we will put that in the show notes. In fact, I say we. It's already in the show notes, again, thanks to uh, help from all the great folks in the chat room. So. Thank you so much. That's uh, that's the answer. Great stuff. Moving on to Larry. Larry asks. <laughs> well, he I'm, says no. I, I just want to shake my fist that the, the, this is a preemptive fish shake coming up on this one here because okay. I struggled with this as well. But but go. All right. He says when you're while you're scratching. Oh, he was having uh, some other issues. He said, "I have a mail question." He showed me the header of a message. He gave us a screenshot and uh, it says this message is in a specific mailbox. So far, so good. He says, so now I do a mail search on the word. Um, it's telehealth. I think we can say that on the show here. It's the name of the mailbox. He says, I do a mail search on the word telehealth. And I see that there are two possible mailboxes with this name. 
I'm looking for the one with the small H. No problem. And it shows that there are two in the thing. He says, but that's where I get stuck. Is there an equivalent of show in finder in mail that would help me discover where my mailboxes are lurking? Uh, he says, I bet this one was accidentally dragged into another mailbox. So it's now a sub mailbox and I have no idea where to find this thing. Yeah. So uh, there isn't Larry, but there totally should be. Uh, I just tried this and got exactly to the same place that you did. There's no way to say go to enclosing mailbox, right? Because that's what you want is to bring me to that mailbox so that now I can, I can see it. Um, but here's the thing. And you almost stumbled onto it. Uh, mailboxes are stored as folders in the finder. So if you go to your home folder and you go to the library folder, which you probably won't see unless you've enabled it, but you can instead go to the go menu at the top of the, uh, the menu bar in the finder. Hold down the option key and you'll see library appear. So go there and then go to the mail folder and then go to V3. That's V3 is for El Capitan, I believe in later, although I'm not sure about Sierra. Um, prior OSs were using V2 and then really, really old OSs use V1. But you're going to go into your the latest V folder that you have in mail. So mail, uh, home library mail, V3 for El Capitan. And right from there in the finder, search for this word, in your case, telehealth. Um, you might find it beneficial to narrow that down by using the search options, hitting the plus key and set kind is folder because that's how mailboxes work. They are actually folders within the mail files inside them. And that will allow you, that will show you where it is. And then you can go back into mail and you'll see the hierarchy in the finder, which will match what you have in mail and you should be able to find it and then obviously move it around or, or leave it there. At least now you know where it is. So it's kind of crazy that there's no better way to do it, but that's how it works. My fish shake, Dave, is number one. I saw this view that showed the folder, and I'm like, well, that's weird. I don't see that. You know why I didn't see that, Dave? What's that? Because I'm kicking it old school, yo. And um, and in my preferences, uh, general, no, wait, hold on, viewing. I had classic layout. Apparently, to get that folder show up, you have to be in the not classic layout. So you're talking so about in mail. I'm talking in mail app on OS 10. Yes, there is a preferences viewing. Yeah. And I just like the classic layout. I, the thing I do is too. You don't, what were you, you missing? Get, uh, I believe when classic layout was enabled, I wouldn't see that little folder. Um, no, you, you will. You'll see it. You just have to search to find it. That's the problem. Or in is some he's, cases, he's, I, I wasn't seeing it. But, okay. but the other thing is... Because I like use classic you, too, and I see it. It's, it's okay. there in my search results. Yeah. All right. There was... Uh, okay. Because I thought there was one situation where I didn't see that, and when I disabled classic layout, it that showed up. But the other thing was, dude, it, it, it should be so natural that you see a folder. I mean, I was clicking on it, and I'm like, why am I not getting show in Finder? <laughs> it just seems such a obvious thing for them to do. If they're going to bother to show you the mail folder that it's in, why not navigate to it? But why not? Yeah. Why not? Like, yeah. And it's right there. It feels like something knows, you can click knows. on. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. it's crazy. Maybe they'll, maybe in the next version of mail, they'll fix that or enhance it. Yeah. Yeah. For the people we Pro know at Apple, please, please add that. It Probably so not. many people happy. I don't know. I should have checked while I was in Sierra for 20 minutes, but, uh, mm -hmm. but I didn't. I'll put Sierra on something here. Problem is I can't put it on one of the machines at the house. So I'll have to put it on a spare driver. Maybe I'll just wait till I come back. I'm really excited to test watch OS three too. Right. Because, um, I, well, 
So here's the thing, and I, this is worth stating about watchOS 3. I, I'm not going to test anything until I get back from Europe because I need re- device reliability while I'm over there for obvious reasons. Uh, but watchOS 3, John Gruber asked Craig Federighi and Phil Schiller about this because when they announced this in the keynote, it was like, wait a minute, you know, the, it's going to be faster and it's going to be able to do all this stuff. It's like, I thought we needed new hardware for that. I mean, I thought we were sitting at the the limits of the the Apple Watch's hardware, and yet they announced all this stuff that was sort of incredible. Uh, and but if you test it, which I have, it it's not it is incredible, but it's also correct. So John asked uh, Craig Federighi about this, and and Craig said, "Yeah, you know, here's the thing: we weren't using all the RAM and CPU that the watch had because when we first rolled it out, we were really paranoid about battery life." So we went way conservative. Like they didn't, they, they're not using the RAM. They're not using the CPU, but they realized, you know, most people are ending the day with somewhere between 40 and like 70% of their watch batteries left. And so, yeah, we can use more of this, which is now what they're doing in watchOS three. So they're using all that RAM to preload your popular apps or your, your favorite apps. And then they're also using the CPU to keep those apps up to date in the background. So I actually, that whole interview that, that uh, Gruber did with, Federighi and, and Schiller is worth watching. There's always good information. It's like you watch the keynote, then you watch the developer tools, state of the union, and then go watch Gruber's interview with whichever Apple exec he happens to get. And then you get sort of the full picture of everything Apple announced at WWDC. That's great. So we'll put a link to that in the, uh, in the notes, but first let's talk about Simon, John. Simon asks, uh, He says, I followed the instructions on the internet to move the iTunes folder to an external drive. Now, while this did not, well, this did seem to move, I didn't seem to recover any space. So maybe I just copied the files. Also, when I go to iTunes, movies, podcast, music item and say show and finder, it looks correct for both old and new items. It's pointing to the new place. When I go to preferences, it shows in my iTunes preferences that the folder is in the right place. If I quit iTunes and rename the home music iTunes folder, it recreates a new folder on entry to iTunes, but I am unable to find my library. If I go to that location, the new library location on the external drive, there doesn't seem to be an iTunes library.itl item, so I cannot link to the external library. I have to use the one in my original iTunes folder. What gives? So this is interesting. Um, a couple of things. Number one, when you tell iTunes to move to move the library and consolidate everything, you are right. It copies the files to the new library, uh, the music music store location. Uh, not not music store, but uh, I'm going to pull it up here because I want to make sure I use all the right words. The media folder location, right? That's what you are changing. In if you go into iTunes preferences, advanced, you get the iTunes media folder location. When you change that and then tell it to consolidate. It copies everything there. So you're right. All the old stuff stays in your media folder on your original drive until you delete it. But you're also right that iTunes is now pointing to your external media folder for all the media. Here's the thing. When you move the media folder, it does not move the iTunes library files, which includes the things in home music, iTunes, iTunes library.itl. You can move that too, if you want to an external location and have everything there. And there might be reasons you want to do that, but the iTunes prescribed way of doing it 
does not involve that file moving. So you will always have the iTunes library.itl and other associated files in your home music iTunes folder. But you can go ahead after you spot check and are certain, and preferably after you back up, you can go ahead and delete the media folder from within home music iTunes once you've moved the media elsewhere. Does that make sense? Anything to add to that, John? I think so. In general, I would say, and this is how I'm set up, is unless you have a really good reason, and I'm not even sure why they offer these options here, but as you pointed out, so if you go into iTunes Preferences Advanced, you can identify not only the iTunes media folder location, but then it has these various checkboxes, keep organized, copy files to iTunes media library. Right. And then here's one I haven't seen before, share iTunes library XML with other applications, which sounds like a good thing. I don't know why you wouldn't want all of those checked. And I don't think I've ever gotten myself into a situation where I unchecked any of them because I'm afraid I'll just ruin everything. Well, there, so let's talk about that because the first one, the keep iTunes media folder organized by checking that it, it means that it's going to, um, it's going to use its layout for that folder, which is fine. The second one, copy files to the iTunes media folder when adding to library. This means uh, that you have to commit to storing all of your iTunes media in one place. And so the only people that would want to uncheck this are folks that want to manually manage where your iTunes media is. You might have one drive where you want your movies and another drive where you want your music. And if that's the case, then what you do is you move them, say you get a movie, you move it onto that drive. And then from that drive, you add it to iTunes iTunes isn't going to change its location or copy it or anything. It's just going to add it to iTunes. So there are some people that might want to do it that way, uh, mostly for storage reasons, I would think. And then that last one, share iTunes library XML with other apps. iTunes used to always create an XML file, and then it changed to this .itl file. Uh, but there were so many apps that to read the iTunes library would look at this XML file so this is for backward compatibility with, with third-party apps. So you're right that you certainly that one, there's very few reasons where you'd want to uncheck that last one. There might be a reason where you want to uncheck the second one, but you would, you would know it. it. It wouldn't be an accidental thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, Groovy. that's how it goes. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know what, John? I want to talk about our, uh, our three sponsors, if I may. Does that work for you? Yes, you may. Awesome. I want to start by talking about other world computing at MacSales.com. Otherworld has been around longer than we have, both here at MacGeekia, but also longer than we have at TMO. They are staples of our market, and for good reason, they have lasted this long. They know what they're doing. They build, they built rather their own test center so that here in the U.S., they test all this stuff. They, everything they sell, they know it inside and out, backwards and forwards. They totally understand how their products work. And that means not only can they advise you as to exactly which product to buy, which their website does even without having to talk to a human, but you certainly can call and talk to a human. Not only that, if there is a problem, they bring it back to their test lab and check it there and either fix it or they get you right back on the right path is what happens. They really know what they're doing. 
it's my one of my first places to stop when I'm going to shop for something. John, I think you're the same way. And uh, right now they've got the Aura SSD for the mid-2013 and later MacBook Air and MacBook Retina. Uh, very, very cool stuff. It allows you, what it, what it comes with is the SSD and an external case so that you can take the SSD out of your MacBook Pro when you upgrade it to this new Aura. And then the case is for your old one so that you can use it as an external SSD. And they've got kits. Uh, they've got kits at uh, 480 gigs and one terabyte. Prices are, uh, you know, they, they know what they're doing. They send you the tools uh, with the kit so you can get the whole kit. Uh, the 480 kit is 399 The one terabyte kit is 649 You got to check them out. MacSales.com. That's Otherworld Computing. Our sincere thanks to Otherworld Computing for sponsoring this episode. Another company, John, that's been in the Mac market for a really long time, longer than we have. I don't know which one's been in the market longer, but they all beat us is uh, Barebones at, or Barebones Software, I should say, at barebones.com. These are the makers of BB Edit. Again, a piece of software that's older than our companies are here. Crazy stuff. They know how to make it easy to edit text and really powerful. doesn't matter whether you're just editing simple text or you want to do, uh, you know, C plus or Java HTML. It doesn't matter. It figures out what language you're in, gives you some soft visual cues, uh, by using colors, but not in a, in a grading way. They've, they've figured out exactly how to make things offset from one another without burning your eyes. And it's awesome. And the cool thing is it's not changing the file at all. It's just doing this on the fly just for your visual aid. The files that are saved are text files. On top of that, BB Edit has all these great little tools for manipulating text. I use it all the time. In fact, I'll use it for the timestamps for this show just to clean those up. I put them in. I know that the file that I'm going to get out of it is text and text alone. It's not going to have any funny characters in it. Uh, I can count words automatically. It shows me how many words, how many lines, and how many characters are in any file. You can do finds. This gets really cool across multiple files. You can point a folder at it and have it search in that folder for everything. And then you can actually make changes to multiple files at once. You can do multi-file find and replace. It's very, very cool. Uh, I couldn't live without BB Edit. Like I said, I'm in it all the time. It's always running on all of my Macs and I'm constantly using it for things like this. You can do file comparisons. Really, really cool stuff. You got to check it out. They've got a free trial. Go to barebones.com, download the free trial. And then when you're ready to buy, it's 50 bucks. Short money for a piece of software that is going to help you every day if you do anything with text whether or not you're a programmer you owe it to yourself to check it out barebones.com our thanks to barebones software for sponsoring this episode our third sponsor for today john and everyone these sponsors aren't just for you john they're for everybody is atlassian a-t-l-a-s-s-i-a-n at atlassian.com you may not know the name atlassian though if you've been listening to mac geek up for a couple of weeks you probably do but you might know some of their products. We were just talking about it before the show, John, right? They make, they actually make 30 different products, I think, all over 30. But the ones that you might have heard of, Bitbucket, Jira, 
Confluence and HipChat. Bitbucket is something I've used before. I think you have too, right, John? You with me? All of their yeah. tools are tools that once you get over that you don't need help developing software. <laughs> yeah, you like totally need help. Bugs, right? Yeah. Uh, and I, uh, when I was a Wii engineer, I thought, ah, I don't need version control and I don't need a bug tracking system and, and things like that. The thing is, no, you do. Yeah. If, if your project is more than a screen full of code. And, uh, and, that's, and maybe that's even do. then. <laughs> yeah, it can be really helpful. Uh, you know, even if it's just a screen full of code, you don't, you don't necessarily uh, remember when you made a change that broke things. And it can be really helpful to go back and say, all right, wait a minute. It worked last week. It's not working now. What changed? And you can go see it. Obviously, that amplifies by a thousand when you've got even just one other person working on the, uh, you know, on the project with you because you have no idea what they changed. Really helpful stuff. Uh, that's Bitbucket. Jira is great for tracking bugs and feature requests. Have you used Jira before, John? I've used something like it. And, okay. and again, um, in order to get rid of bugs, you got to manage them and you got to track them and you got to close them out. And that's, uh, you know, that's I, what the pros do. Uh, yeah. And, and it, it is, that's what the pros do. But the good news is you can do this, uh, for teams of any size and, and you got to check it out. And like John said, you know, you've used, you may already be using something that solves one of these problems. To use one tool in the Atlassian family, you don't have to use all of them. You probably eventually will want to, but they work with like 2,000 other different tools from third party, from other third party vendors. So they're not, they don't force you into their silo. They would like you in their silo for obvious reasons, but they're okay with you coming in one step at a time without having to abandon everything else you're doing. You got to check them out. Atlassian.com. Our thanks to Atlassian for sponsoring this episode. All right, John. Because <laughs> it makes me chuckle, Dave. I just got to say, as, yeah, go a software, yeah. as a software engineer, a so, uh, doing software engineering without using tools to help you collaborate and track your bugs and manage your code is like herding cats. Dude. I, I'm totally I was, serious. I was that guy. No, for a long, <laughs> you said you have to finally get over it. I, I mean, it was... Steven Swift. So, I mean, once I finally started hiring programmers here at, at TMO, kind of in the, the TMO backbeat family, you know, I started getting pushed down this path, but Steven Swift didn't push me hard enough. We set up a development environment, which was better than me just testing changes live, um, you know, by FTP and code changes up uh, to the, to the live site. Uh, but we did that for a long time and I still sometimes do it much to Adam's dismay. And then when Steven moved on and we brought Adam in, uh, he, added a whole, you know, we started using version control. And I mean, it's like, it changes, it's, it changes everything. It's so much better. It's crazy. Yeah. Not to use it. All right. Moving on. Right. Uh, let's go to David here. You want to take us to David, John? I'll take us to David. Sweet. It's probably not good news, but uh, <laughs> it never is. Well, it, it well, could be good news. I, I'm actually unclear on the end, and I would like your input, my friend. But sure. um, So David writes in and says, hello. Hello. Um, I just recently purchased a Mac Mini Refurb. Awesome. Okay. Great. Great thinking. Because I love mine. Um, I'm converting from a PC to a Mac Mini. I have kept the old hard drive from the PC unit. When doing a backup of my iPhone to iTunes on the PC unit, at some point I encrypted the backup. As things have it, somehow I did not get the password written down that I used for encrypting the iPhone backup. 
Is there any way to recover that password or third-party program to get at that password on the old PC hard drive? <sighs> All right. So the one thing, so he did mention a PC here. So initially I, I kind of uh, glazed over that, but then, then I got back to reality here. So the thing is, you should be able to migrate. Uh, Apple does have a Windows migration tool, so you should be able to migrate a lot of things, I think, including your uh, uh, iTunes and backups and things like that. You should be able to migrate those over to the Mac using their, their tool, right? Yeah. Okay. Just want to make sure you're with me on that. Initially, I thought it was a Mac question, but then I saw he mentioned PC. All right. So once you've migrated things over, my first thought, and I found an article referring to this here, is that there may be. So if you're looking for a password, at least the, once you're on the Mac platform here, the only place you may find that is in um, what they call keychain access so well, apple has a keychain access program and it stores a lot of uh, it stores it's actually kind of a dumping ground for all sorts of things so it stores certificates it can store passwords that are used to log into various things and i actually did find an article dave that showed that at some point in time and i don't know if this time has passed it would actually store um a password to an item of type iphone backup within it would be available within Keychain Access. So I did find a reference to this. I don't but know there if is, this is But there's no still... Keychain Access on Windows, right? right th that's why I wanted to give you the caveat that it, you may have to migrate over first, and then this may appear. Oh. Uh... All right. Not totally unreasonable, right? Yeah. <laughs> once you've yeah, migrated... I see what you're saying, Once though. you're migrated... Uh, so step one, you got to use the Windows migration tool to migrate your data over from Windows to the Mac. Once you do that there may be this iPhone backup item in Keychain Access, and within the iPhone backup, it'll have a password applied to it. Yeah, but it's not just a password. I mean, it's encrypted with that as yes. part of the key. Huh. What I'm saying is that that may be the only, uh, that's the only place potentially you may be able to retrieve this password. I Other see what you're that, saying, yeah. All right, yeah. You know, huh. Sometimes, sometimes I go out on a limb and and I don't break the the, the branch. The branch, yeah, yeah. Well, no, that's that's the risk you take. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. Otherwise, I've never tried this migration with this, but huh? Yeah, if anybody knows like where to find the Windows password or the iTunes uh, password on iTunes backup password on Windows, um, the thing is, I've seen. I, I'd be wary of these, but if you search for like iTunes backup, right, there are some yep. questionable utilities, none from a company that I would necessarily want to give my money to. Um, they claim they have utilities that'll hack this or crack it. Yeah. Maybe somebody has written a script that'll brute force it. I don't think there's anything that prevents even you from writing a script to brute force it. I, I don't think Apple, you know, like an iPhone or something, I don't think they disable access they'll just keep asking well yeah. what's the password what's the password what's the password yeah so, i found i found one and i i'm i am almost i am hesitant to recommend <laughs> to mention it because i am not recommending it uh because i've never used it but yeah you're right i mean i i just did a quick google search and found something called icpassword.com i-s-e-e password.com and it's you know they tell you look the first thing to do is try all the passwords you could think of and then 
there is a then solution two is try the password recovery tool. And one of the options in it is a brute force attack. There's dictionary attacks. There's smart attacks. There's brute force attacks. And it's like, yeah, man, you want to bang on this? We're happy to do it for you. And uh, they, it's a Windows app only uh, for them. But again, I, you know, I'm not, I'm just pointing you there saying this might be, I saved you the step of typing in a Google search. That's all I've done. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, the thing is Apple's official word on this. So Apple has a handy dandy support article called about encrypted backups in iTunes. And this is why I'm saying we're probably going to be giving you bad news because they have something that uh, they're pretty clear in the statement, but let me read it anyways. It's, it's very short. There is no way to recover your information or turn off encrypt backup. If you lose or forget the password. Okay. Yeah. That's Apple's position. And so it's Apple's correct. position on this is sorry. The only other thing I could think of is if at any point you maybe enabled an iCloud backup of this device instead. Yeah. I hope you did maybe either intentionally or by accident. That would be the other <laughs> solution. Yeah. Um, then that, that would have its own password your your iCloud password, I guess. But um that's yeah. about all. Yeah, I, I mean, remember this is this is the company that is you know has put their stake in the ground uh, about security. So they're they're not going to have a knowledge base article that says, "Oh yeah, oh you forgot your password? No problem. Look, just type one two three four and it'll unlock it. Everything's going to be fine." You know, that's that's not who this company is. So yeah, well, it, Alex in the chat room is asking, "Is it in the keychain?" And the answer is yes, it will be in your Mac's keychain. The question is where in Windows is that stored? And I don't uh I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting. Well, I even looked I even looked on my computer, Dave, and and so the the, the article that I found is is dated, but the thing is I do not have in my keychain on my Mac, yeah, which I make an encrypted backup of my iPhone on, I do not have an entry in my keychain. So um Really? It, yeah, I bet really? you do. I mean, unless you uh, unless you I told it not it. to save it. I mean, I uh, yes, I, I I do believe that was my intent. Okay, yes. then, I specifically then that makes said sense. do not save in the keychain. Yeah, then that's yeah okay. And that's an option you'll get a lot of times sure. on the Mac, and you and you got to weigh. Yep. The security versus convenience. The thing is, I choose not to store it in the keychain because I don't want yeah. someone who has physical access to my machine to all of a sudden magically have access to all my passwords. All right, let's move, let's move to Chris because it's a similar topic. And Chris asks, he says, I've got an interesting problem that I've come across that I thought I'd run past you guys. I have a friend with a 128 gig iPhone 6 that absolutely refuses to back up. After approximately four hours of attempting to back up, the backup mm. fails by saying iTunes could not back up the iPhone, named iPhone, because the iPhone disconnected. It says, now I have 128 gig iPhone six plus with a similar amount of used storage, but it backs up in maybe 30 minutes compared to the long process that fails for my friend. The other thing to consider is that for family reasons, he has two iPhones. Another one is a 16 gig iPhone six and the 16 gig iPhone backs up. No problem whatsoever with the same cable to the same computer, which has sufficient space for both. So far we've, de we've deleted all the old and failed backups. We've removed the contents of the VAR DB lockdown folder and, which is the thing that decides when your devices are allowed to talk to each other. Uh, so good troubleshooting. And he says, and the same, the result is the same failure. I've also tried backing up using iMazing and to a different computer with consistent failures. The phone just won't back up 
at all. So this is, yeah, I mean, you're, you're, it, the question has most of the answers that we would typically give for general uh, troubleshooting on this, which is go into uh, home library application support, mobile sync backup in the finder and remove any backups that are related to this phone or go into iTunes preferences devices and delete any backups that are associated with this device from there. Either way, we'll do the same thing. Um, the, the path in iTunes is a, a, a bit more descriptive in the finder. You'll just see a, a big long string that's usually based on the UDID of the device. But, um, but deleting that, if you've got a corrupted backup on there, that can obviously cause it. You could try creating a test user account or backing this device up to a different machine. Uh, but that may or may not, uh, I mean, it, it would be worth trying. Uh, the other thing that you can try is to back up to iCloud. Now, yes, it's a 128 gig device and yes, maybe it's full, but most of the time, the data that you're backing up, especially to iCloud will not include all of your media it won't include downloads like, like our Mac Geek Gab app, for example. It will, it, we store, when you download them, episodes of the podcast in the app. But when your iPhone backs up, it does not back up the episodes of the podcast. And Apple actually won't let us release the app if it did. We have to mark those as essentially, this is something that is re-retrievable. And so iTunes doesn't, or iCloud or backup in general doesn't need to back up the podcast episodes because the app could bring those down again. So it backs up the preferences. It backs up, you know, all of your personal sort of tweaks and, and, and settings in the app, but it does not down, it does not back up the data. So you might be able to back up even a full 128 gig iPhone to iCloud, even with a standard five gig iCloud account, the one loan, difference or the, the, the one lone exception to this is pictures because your photos aren't stored anywhere else. Again, unless you have iCloud photo library, in which case they are, and they're not uh, backed up as part of your backups. So it sounds to me like this is a damaged phone. Um, it, you know, normally I would say before you go to the mm. Apple, before you go to the genius bar, wipe the phone clean, right? We talked about this, but before you wipe the phone clean, you should back it up because you can't back it up. I don't recommend wiping it clean before you bring it to the genius bar. I would bring it to them and have them work it out uh, with you there. But I, I think you've got uh, a phone that, that isn't happy to pass data across its port or it's got something on the phone that's corrupted, but backing up to iCloud will answer that question for you, whether it's, it's the physical connection that's the problem or the backup process. That's the problem. That's my thoughts. But you said, hmm, John. No, I was just sounding thoughtful. Yes. Well, that's good. No, I agree with all. And, and uh, I'm hoping that a pre-existing corrupt backup is the cause. I've it's had not. that happen. It's, it's not. He's deleted all the backups from that machine. So <sighs> it's, un it's unfortunate. But yeah, I mean, in general, that, it's something to test for. And he already tested for it. But, but again, for those of you that run into this, that it that app like it, yeah you ran into it it's it happens it happens all the time in fact it's crazy but I don't know it's nuts John you um in the last episode we spent like I don't know ten fifteen seconds talking about uh, a problem you had with your iPhone and mm -hmm. and you have some uh, you have some stuff to report and 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 I know I know we're the answer here because we met and talked about it. 
but um, so I'll let you report your findings on your iPhone. And then, and then I think there's a, there's a, a good lesson for all of us to, to learn or at least remember uh, from this, but, but yeah. to set, the to set it up, is... to set it up, it's, it's that you had uh, your iPhone and your iPad both failed in the same way and that they would no longer charge. And the question that we, we left with last time was, was it an app or was it uh, a your your car charger was was the most suspect of the chargers that this device had been used with? And you can listen to the last episode if you want to hear exactly how we got to that point. But you know the answer. Which was it? Uh, the answer for those that are interested. So, for, but first, I want to go through my my diagnostics here. All right. So the thing is, I had two devices that uh, they would work, but the thing is. Once I cycled power and tried to restart them, neither device would restart. So that was the symptom. Right. And again, you can listen to the last episode to get all the gory details about it. And so there were two candidates for what caused this. One was a bad charger. The other was an app that I recently installed that had to do with power management and reading batteries and stuff. So I'm like, okay, could be one, could be the other. Uh, How do you diagnose this? All right. So the, the steps I took were as follows. So... One, I had a phone replaced, you know, because it was under warranty. I still have to decide what to do with the iPad. But so I started to swap things out because that's what you want to do when you want to solve a problem. What has changed? Well, one thing I tried is that I had an old uh, Philips car charger. And I'm like, hmm, okay, well, you know, let me try this. It's different. It it was different in nature in that it was only 900 milliamps or one amp. Mm. It wasn't a high energy one like this uh, Moda. And here's the company that makes this piece of... uh, Moda is the company that makes it. And and I read linked to to it in the show notes uh, for the prior episode. But I'm like, all right, well, let me try another car charger. Other car charger work with the with the replaced phone. I'm like, okay, so it's not my car's electrical system. It's not system. the car, right? Yeah, exactly. So yeah. the car is in all likelihood putting out 12 volts at whatever yeah. amperage. I think typically most cars the the lighter socket is fused for five or ten amps. So I'm like, okay, I trust that that's working, and all the car electronics still work. So I'm like, okay, it's not the car. Then I replaced the charger. I'm like, okay, well, ruled that out. Then I was like, you know what? I'm going to buy one of these, you know, handy dandy little, uh, you know, USB current uh, voltage meters and see if the, the readings were off. But to prepare for that, what I did, Dave, is I actually so put this Moda charger. Remember the name of this company, folks. <laughs> and I tried to charge a battery pack that I had using a micro USB cable. The thing is, I plugged that in. And the light went on on the battery pack. So I thought, well. That that seems to be working. It seems to be charging it and interfacing it to it. Yeah. Well, then I made a flaw here. But the thing is, the guy was like, well, you know, I mean, you could plug the replacement phone in and see if it blows it up. I'm like, oh, I don't want to blow it up. But because I thought the charger was still okay because it it appeared to work with something else, I plugged in the replacement phone. Boom. Womp, womp, womp. <laughs> well, that pretty much answered the question. Well, it's the charger. Yep. So fortunately, I got yet another phone. <laughs> so you're cool on your you're that. on your th- fourth iPhone. No, third. Third. Oh, third. that's right. Yeah, yeah, your third your third iPhone success. Yeah. So okay. So this is. Um, th- but then th- it, it ruled out, and, and then what I did is I went online to look up, get some more information about this charger because, as I mentioned, it was working for years. For two years, I bought it in 2014. It was through a Groupon deal, but it's a name brand. 
Remember, I may mention the name of the company. The thing is, when I went to the Amazon page for this product, Dave, um, let, let's, let's say that I added to the one-star reviews yeah. uh, to complement all of the other people that said, yes, this blew up my iDevice. So there's it a couple, charge. There's it was a couple the charger. lessons here. Yeah. I mean, the thing is that uh, I, I agree with you and you made this point and, uh, and you know, sometimes you're right and sometimes I'm wrong. Um, but the thing is, for a piece of software to cause this damage is incredibly unlikely, all the protections that Apple puts in there. I won't say it's impossible because support me on my conspiracy theories. And like I said, I have seen software disable devices but in this For, case firmware was, sure third party software I, I you're right i mean it it i i, I would say it's, i would say it's impossible but but if you want to leave the room is, for the 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 anomaly then sure the point point oh one percent all i'll say is that what what led me to believe that it could have been an app is the app was pulled the thing is subsequently the app has reappeared so it wasn't an app that somehow did some wacky thing here right no, it, yeah. It, um, and they have, and Apple has, and I actually looked to, to this, so not to, I don't want to frighten people. Apps, for the most part, Apple vets them and, and they do. But there have been apps pulled in the past, mostly because they were doing sneaky things behind the scenes, like sending user data when they shouldn't have been. Right. And Apple found out about it. So they, they've gotten much better at vetting apps that do anything. The thing to remember, crazy. though, is that there's it's one thing to give an app, say, access to your contacts database, and then that app starts you know shoveling your contacts data up to the cloud, uh, mm-hmm. and, and Apple would stop that. That's absolutely possible and and apple uh, works to keep that from happening but no app will ever that that sold through the mac app store will ever run as root and the only way that an app would be able to talk to the hardware in a way that it could actually render it useless would be to run as root and and that's simply not a, mm-hmm. a that is that there's no way that that could happen with an app that you get from the Mac app store with this way the sandboxing is but there's a there's a bigger um there's a bigger troubleshooting lesson to learn here and it's one I've I've relayed my stories about this too but it's coming up with a diagnosis when you have a fixed amount of information and then later needing to abandon that diagnosis when you have more information, right? So in this case, you know, you jumped to the conclusion, which you have to, at some point, you know, you can't wait until you have every stitch of information to, to come up with a diagnosis and then act on it. And you jumped to the conclusion that it was this app. And then as you sort of proceeded down the path, you found out more information. It was time to pull your stake out of the ground and say, man, you know, it's something else. And, and, you know, my, the way I always relayed this, uh, was the hard lesson that I learned. I would, when I was doing uh, computer consulting, I would get in the car and we had somebody else in the office. Actually, we had a team of people in the office that were uh, answering the phone and somebody would describe their problem to these, these folks in the office. These folks in the office weren't necessarily technicians. And then they would write down, you know, maybe 20 words, if that, about the problem. But more often than not, it was like 10 words. And so I would get the person's address and these 10 words about the problem and I'd start driving and in the car, I would start solving the problem in my head, whether I wanted to or not. And I would get there with a prejudice about what to do. Now that prejudice was born out of wanting to be efficient, but it always, almost always 
backfired and I would get an hour and a half into the call and suddenly realize, okay, wait a minute. This is not what I thought. I got to, I got to stop chasing this particular thing that I was so committed to and, and look at the information I have now and pick a new path. You know, what path if you got to start here, which guess what you do, you know, what path would you pick? Would it be that one? No. And so I stopped reading the, uh, the description of the problems and my, my solutions got faster, uh, a lot faster. And I didn't spin my wheels with these, these preconceptions of, you know, what it was. So that they, but it's, it, it's always going to happen where you, you know, you, 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 you have to start solving at some point as opposed to just researching. And when you start solving, you might find something out that tells you, no, you know what? It's something else. And, and that's, it's just, it's a good thing to remember when troubleshooting. And, and that's why I'm glad we sure. kind of went through all this. So yeah, it's, it's just stuff. The, the, the final thing, and I, I relayed this to you, but the thing is, I just found it so unlikely that it could be a piece of hardware because there is a chip, if anybody's done any sort of electronics work, called the 7805. It's a, it's a well-known part, and its purpose in life is to convert 12 volts to 5 volts. Mm. And this chip has all sorts of thermal and overcurrent and overvoltage protections. Um, I'm going to assume that these guys that made this adapter were not using that chip, or it was just a poor design because... A piece of hardware shouldn't, you know, that's meant to power something, shouldn't, uh, it, it, you know, output more current or voltage than it's rated for. It should shut down. It should turn itself off. Things malfunction. But it is. It's hard to, to I, I'm, I'm totally with you. You, you know, it, it's hard to stop and just say it's hardware. You know, it, it, it's because we see so much weird software stuff. But, you know, I saw this, too. Uh, like, I, I think yeah. uh, uh, our, our friend Allison out in California, at one point, their power company was having wacky things happening, and they were seeing uh, crazy voltages that wasn't yeah. 120 coming out. And I'm like, well, how is that possible? Well, it's possible. It's so, possible. That's right. Yeah. It's just I would expect a circuit like that to, I mean, that's why you have fuses. You know, if something's overcurrent, it blows the fuse. It, it doesn't damage My guess the rest is your, of the system. your motor folks don't have a fuse in there. Uh, well, I'm going to crack it open now that I know it. I, I want to see exactly what, uh, I don't know if it's a bad solder joint or just a faulty component or, or who knows, but yeah, it's, it's, it's coming open because now I, I got to figure out what they did wrong. All right, moving on so that we don't spend any more time on that, but it was good. It was a yep. good, a good little, again, you know, one of my sort of overreaching goals with this show is to make all of us. And that includes all of you, our listeners, better troubleshooters. And stories like this, you know, show that a there's a big lesson to learn, and b none none of us are immune to this. I still do, you know, find out. Oh, it's like crap. I really I wasted so much time doing that one thing, and it's it was a waste of time. Well, it happens. The hard part, if you're a consultant, and I know there's a lot of you out there, is convincing the client that the time you wasted. Because it, in the end, it's wasted time. It could be looked at that way. Is billable time, and the way I always solved for that was to explain everything I was doing while I was doing it, unless they told me to stop talking. And uh, as you can tell, that's probably a hard thing to do. Um, so I probably didn't stop talking anyway. But uh, but that would make a it would make the time more valuable. But b sometimes the client would say, "All right, well if you if what you're saying is this, don't you think that would be a better solution?" It's like, huh? Yet yeah, you know what? You might be right. 
And sometimes just explaining something, even if the person that you're explaining it to doesn't understand, sometimes explaining it can help you sort of reason it out too. So anyway, Don, let's jump around a little bit here, Don, because Don has a, uh, he's got an interesting question. He says, classical music, especially opera that I rip to iTunes for playback in my car is either too loud or too soft. In other words, it has too much dynamic range. Do either of you know of an iOS music playback app or other solution that would allow me to reduce the dynamic range of my opera recordings for a more pleasant listening experience while I drive? What Don wants is an app that compresses his audio. I'm not talking about storage data compression, I'm talking about audio compression. And, and he explained it very, very well. You want the soft parts to be louder and you want the loud parts to be a little softer so that the, the, the variance, the delta between the softest soft and the loudest loud is less than it currently is. And classical music is a great um, example of why you might need this because it tends not to be overly compressed when it's produced. Typical rock music and pop music actually goes through quite a bit of compression so that this problem doesn't happen. Um, but it loses some of the range when you're in your car, you want that, um, loudness is a feature that will deal with this at some level. Um, and you can turn that on in the iPhone's EQ. It probably isn't going to help though. Um, there is an app though that should do this for you. And it's called boom, uh, from global delight. It's boom for iOS. They also make it for the Mac and, uh, it does the same thing on both. It, It'll actually do lots of things. It'll create weird surround sound stuff, but it will help to limit the dynamic range. So uh, I think boom is what you're looking for. And we'll put a link in the show notes to the iOS version. And of course, like I said, it's, it's from global delight and they have a Mac version as well. It's really, really good stuff. And, uh, and they, they know what they're doing and, and they, they do it for, uh, for good reason. So any thoughts on this, John? No. Okay. Uh, you want to talk about Joseph or are we going to skip that one today? Um, no, we could talk about Joseph. Okay. I think it's a, a good general, uh, Sorry. uh, analysis. All right. Which we're all into how to solve your problems. Yeah. Well, I'll give him a place to start. So here's what Joseph says. So he said, hi, maybe you can help me with this. And I think we may <laughs> time machines stopped backing up to my system about 19 days ago. So it says in a message on my screen, I've been in and out of town, so somewhere it stopped. I keep seeing the wonderful message, preparing backup. After several days of seeing this message, I did a search and discovered a procedure that should have restarted the backup. And I think in general, the procedure that he found is that at some point, Time Machine will write a .in-progress file. So it sounds like he tried to whack that. Okay. And it still didn't resume the backup. Hmm. Uh, then he's got a follow-up here. Uh, yeah, and he, and he says, I, I think waiting several days for it while it prepares the backup is not reasonable. Yes, that is absolutely correct. Um, and then he was asking about, I don't know if it has that. that yeah, Let, let's go to the first part about Time Machine. Maybe we'll, we'll answer the second part later. But um, what you want to do to find out what Time Machine is really doing. So the problem is, is that it's not very 
verbose about what's happening. When it says preparing backup, it's doing a whole bunch of things. And to get a level of detail that's going to help you diagnose this, what you want to do is you want to first start up the console. The console is a big repository of all sorts of low-level messages from the OS. And you want to filter. So there's a little search box in the upper right-hand corner of console. And you want to search on backup D. That is the time machine backup process. And then you're going to start seeing it talking about what it's doing. And what it should start with is saying starting backup. Then it'll say mounting your uh, drive, whether it's a network drive or a direct connect drive. Uh, it may say checking for runtime corruption. And then it's going to give you some progress as to what it's really doing. Now, in my case, for a normal backup, it's going to say, all right, well, I found you know this bunch of files here from this drive, and, um, and here's the space that's required, and I'm going to start copying them, and, it, and it'll give you, if it's a lot of files, then it's going to give it to you in stages, and then it'll close with saying, well, I've created a new backup, and here's the name of it. What you may see, if things are confused, so one thing that I have seen, Dave, especially if you're doing a new backup or if something isn't quite right on the source drive, it'll say doing, uh, it'll say something along the lines of like UUIDs don't match for FS events, which, which is the way Apple keeps track of when things and directories have changed. So it'll basically say, you know what? Um, everything on this drive is new to me, so I'm going to do a deep, it'll typically have the wording like deep transversal. And that means it's scouring the source drive exhaustively for new stuff. Now this can take a while. Now you should see a message saying that it's doing that, or you may see another message. So that was basically what I gave Joseph is, you know, go to the console and tell us what you see or where you stop seeing messages from backup D. I'm hoping that it's chatty enough that it's going to tell you what its problem is. And you really have to take it from there. Mm. So that's what I got. Yeah. I, in my I, case, yeah, uh, you know, you what yeah. I got to say a lot of times is, you know, and I've had this happen. I even had it happen. I think I told you my, you know, uh, time machine backup for my MacBook Pro that I repaired. That eh, screwed up again. Sometimes you just got to throw in the towel and you just got to say, you know what? Time machine is screwed up. I'm just going to format the destination and start again. Please. To any of you listening, do not use Time Machine as your only method of backing up your computer. You will regret it. I yeah. guarantee it. Well, especially especially <laughs> if you're backing up over fragile. a, net, over a network. It's so fragile. Yeah, well, and that's the beauty of, of the new uh, Apple file system, right, is Time Machine should be able to go away uh, or at least be changed dramatically because it's well, got snapshots it, built in and all of that yes. stuff. Yeah. It has a lot. Of features, and I think we we talked. I think ZFS is a similar file system. It, yeah, it borrows it a like, lot from that. Yeah, yeah. But it sounds like they're incorporating. You know, so I think part of what they introduced in OS 10 was journaling, which is kind of a way in to, HFS plus just to be right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. In the current file system that they had, they they've incorporated something called journaling, which kind of can bring you back to a hopefully known state that isn't Ish. a mess. Yeah, but snapshots are far more robust. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, absolutely. No, yeah. I totally agree with you. But yeah. I'm saying that's the best they can do with HFS, and sometimes it's not good enough. Because I, I think I even saw that when my time machine backup finally failed. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to rewind the journal, but I can't get to a state where your where backup makes cool. sense to me, yeah. so sorry. <laughs> so a, co- a couple things from the chat room. One about this question, Brian Monroe says, uh, that you can use more than one destination for time machine. And he recommends using both 
a direct connected drive, either USB or Thunderbolt, Thunderbolt or Firewire, if you've got it. Uh, and then also a network destination. And if you add them both, Time Machine will mostly round robin between them or, or amongst them if you've got uh, more than two. It it It's still, it, it's the network stuff where Time Machine is more, most unreliable. Um, it's also the most convenient for, you know, somebody who's got multiple machines and just wants to back everything up. But that's where it gets dicey because it adds the whole disk image thing into the mix. Whereas if you're backing up to a direct connected drive, then time machine does not create a disc image. It just saves to a folder and that's a little more reliable. So thank mm-hmm. you for that. And then rewinding one question back Everett, uh, Ev the nerd, uh, stealing a, uh, a page out of my book happily. Um, I think it's great writes, uh, that you can use sound check in the iPhone. So you'd go to in, uh, you'd go to settings music, and uh, and then enable sound check. That will help to balance out the volume. I don't, and, and that's true. And you probably want to have that on, especially if you're playing in the car. What that does is it normalizes the volume, as I understand it, where, which means that it finds the peak of every song and makes that peak the same. So the loudest peak will always be the same among songs. But it, I could play you three songs that are normalized. And that have wildly different perceived volume levels because there's a, a peak is not really enough. You want to look at the overall energy in a song uh, and, or in a track and, and again, compressing it over, you know, in real time is, is far more helpful, but soundcheck might help somewhat, but I think boom is what that particular listener, I think that's still the best solution for them. So anyway, good stuff from the chat room today. Thank you very kindly folks. All right. Um, I'm trying to think, you know, let's go. We talked a little bit about iTunes, so let's stay on that path and we'll go to Michael and, and we might need, this might turn into a geek challenge. I'm not sure that I've got uh, this, but John, maybe you, maybe you've got some help or, or maybe you folks can help us. Uh, Michael writes, I don't use iTunes match or Apple music. So, okay. No iCloud music library in that sense enabled. He says, I have many purchased songs, which I no longer want in my iTunes library, and I have deleted. However, I seem to be in a constant battle with iTunes to keep those out of my library. Even if I have, quote unquote, permanently deleted them, they still populate the list as available iCloud downloads. I have yet to find any lasting solutions to keep them out of sight and out of mind. Any advice? So I'm assuming that when Michael says he's permanently deleting them, he is command deleting on the, on the song. So you highlight the song or songs, hold down the command key and hit delete. And then it will give you the, uh, if you are using iCloud music library, it will give you the option of deleting just the local copy or deleting it from the cloud. My guess is with purchase stuff, that's not possible, but Apple, I have you. And and that is a guess. So I, I, all I'll say is, so I'm looking at my iTunes right now. So I'm in my music purchased. And if I right click on songs that I have purchased, there is a delete choice in the contextual menu. That's all I'll say. No, I know. But if you delete that, then it will offer to let you download it again. Um, because you purchased it. Then I'll see the cloud, the the cloud Cloud icon. Yeah. So he wants to get rid of it. He wants to get rid of the reference and yeah, I don't know if, I think seeing it with the cloud is the best you're going to get, but I, I understand the, the, the issue. Yeah. And the frustration. Right. Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I think, 
what you might be able to do, and there's a knowledge base article about this, which John, you'll appreciate is to hide your purchases. And you can do that uh, by going into the iTunes store and go into purchases and then select the one you want and uh, choose and you hit the X icon. So it looks like you're going to delete it, but it's actually going to hide it. Uh, it's much easier to see than to explain verbally. So I'm just going to put a link in the, in the mm. show notes to this. And that might, might solve this problem for you. So I don't know, but I, I, I it's either that this will solve it for you or you or the seeing the cloud icon is as good as it's going to get. Like, like you said, John, I don't know. <laughs> I, it, it may, it may well be the latter. That's so. funny that I don't see hide. <clears throat> huh? In the contextual menu. Yeah. So it sounds like there's a roundabout secret way to, uh, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, you know how we love iTunes, Dave, that it's such a well thought out, you know, you know, here's the thing. Beautifully designed. No, it's, people it's, hate it's, iTunes. There's a lot of people that like to throw a lot of shade Apple's way about iTunes. I, I don't hate iTunes. It, I did for a while, but it has gotten a lot more reliable. The only thing I want is, and I don't want Apple to break it up into six different apps, one for music and one for movies and one for podcasts. No, that, no, that's great on iOS. I, you know, but, but having the single app that, that does it all, and manages all of your media is great. Now, where I would like to see some separation is first and foremost for syncing or device management. I having that happen in iTunes doesn't make sense. But the good news is the latest version of iTunes, whatever it is, 12.4 makes that a very modal experience. When you go to mess with your device, it's a separate icon. It's not part of the dropdown list. And once you're in there, you are stuck in there until you hit the done button and then you are out. There is never any confusion about where you are. So I feel like that may be the, you know, it certainly is some separation within it, but I feel like that might be the path to separating out a sync app. And that's, you know, maybe the app store would be separated out with the sync app too, the, the iOS app store, because on a Mac, it's, you know, kind of a weird thing and shouldn't necessarily be related to me playing my music. Um, but otherwise, no, I don't think iTunes should be separate apps. I don't know. I, I don't hate it. I'm not, I'm not one of those people. I actually really like it. I think the things that they've done to it have made it a lot more reliable, which might yeah. sound crazy. Yeah, I guess I'm with you. But, but remember, Apple used to have something called iSync. They did. Remember yeah. that? I of course, it was, stand, it was a standalone synchronization app. I'm actually looking here. So it came out in 2003, and then they sounds like they folded it along with the kitchen sink into uh, iTunes. They right? did, yeah, <laughs> yeah, kind of. But they, I mean, they abandoned a lot of those features because it was iSync allowed you to sync with devices like the Palm and all these other yes. things, right? I mean, it was mm -hmm. it was a it was a different app, but yeah, I mean, you're right. It it went away. I don't know. I think iTunes is good. Oh, my gosh. It's that time, man. You know, it just seems like we just got started, Dave. We did. And then you talked some sense into me, and now we're done. 11 years later, we're done. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll never be. Well, no. We never say in never. Grand, in the grand scheme of things, someday we will be done. That is true. Yes. That's and all right. of you listening, 
you'll all be done at some point. <laughs> That's right. At least on this plane. But the shows, the material won't necessarily be done. It'll just live on, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And, and we may all go to exist on a different plane. Yes. I was on you, several planes last week, John. Uh, same spelling, different context. That's what you, you know think. What I'm, you know what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking about. Oh, dude. <laughs> I would not want to be caught in an eternity of having to be on different planes, like oh. airplanes. Oh. That'd be hell. Having yeah. to go through TSA every day. <laughs> you know, TSA has become a breeze for me. Well, you got pre-checked. Um, pre-checked so, uh, makes a big difference. They, treat, they yeah. treat you like an adult in pre-checked. For the most part, yeah. <laughs> That's true. There's well, I got to all- say, when you got me pre-checked, the thing is pre-checked is how they should do it to like kind of speed things up and mm-hmm. treat everybody with some respect and not be yeah. reactive. They should just profile us. I mean, if they think, if they look at you and say, wow, that guy looks like he might be doing something wrong, then they should take me aside and question me. I they actually don't have a problem with that. They have a program where they supposedly do... Good that sort of profiling, but Good. it's uh, if I, I if it's... I look shady, they should you know I don't know I don't have any problem with that. It's fine. I don't know. It's all you know what if you're fe- if you're feeling shady, if you're feeling sunny, or if you're just feeling anything, and you want us to let Dave and I know about it, what you could do is you could write an email, and you want to send it to feedback at MackieGab.com. As far as you know, John, that's feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Last I checked, as of five seconds ago, Dave, it's feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Unless you are someone that supports this show directly as a premium listener, and then you, and that's you, yes, you, thank you. you, you're a premium listener. You get to use premium at MacGeekGab.com. If you want to find out how to do that, please do visit us at MacGeekGab.com. Premium listeners, that we discussed uh, or answered or shared advice from in this episode include Scott, Larry, Don, Joseph, and Michael. So thank you to all of you who are uh, premium listeners. We really appreciate it. And thanks to everyone. It really, it's um, it's a wonderful thing. You can find us on Facebook at uh, com slash Facebook is the easiest way to get there. We've got a great Facebook group where Everybody helps everybody, and it's a it's actually a really wonderful community. We're we're blessed to, to have all of you as part of it. So thank you for that. And then I want to be sure to thank our sponsors. As we mentioned during the show, Otherworld Computing at MaxSales.com, Barebones Software at Barebones.com, Atlassian at Atlassian.com, Gazelle in the podcast marketplace at Gazelle.com, also there. Smile at smilesoftware.com, Squarespace at squarespace.com slash MGG, and Casper at casper.com slash MGG, where coupon code MGG saves you 50 bucks. Free shipping. Good night's sleep. I slept great in San Francisco. You know what I looked? Casper mattress. I, n- I didn't have to use Ambien once, believe it or not. That was just one of those things. John, tell him. I don't know what to tell them, Dave. I mean, we we went to trade shows. We used public transportation. And I'm glad to say that because we're talking to you now, you can be assured that we didn't get caught. Made up.